Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. Come on, football, go, go! Come on, play football! Tyler Bischoff. Wow, you work here? Best seat in the house. Yeah, you do! (laughs) (laughs) I've been laughing for too long. And Adam Candy. Doesn't this seem like cheating? She's rich. She's cheating at life. On ESPN Las Vegas. No Ed Grady this morning. Instead, we get Adam Candy. Oh, Adam, welcome back to the show. Maybe we don't have Adam Candy. Do we, Jared? Do we have Adam Candy? I mean, he's muted, but we got him. Okay. Oh, stop it! Just stop it. Let me <laughs> let me live. I always try to judge your, your level of enthusiasm in the intro as to how good this is going to how good this is going to be. So, uh, what do you that, what do you give me today? Uh, that was middle of the road. Okay. Um, so I'm guessing I'm guessing anytime your team loses to Tony Larusa, you're a little yes. bit sour in the morning. It, it is not good, especially two days in a row. It's not not ideal. It's the battle of the old men who are trying to stay awake uh, between the Astros and the White Sox, and somehow Tony the Roos has gotten the better of Dusty Baker two days in a row. The first bite. This is so much more difficult without the uh, not seeing each other. Will the Raiders' lack of depth cost them a playoff spot this season? So, Adam, I want to talk uh, first about one position, and that's the running back spot, because Benny Bonsignore from the Review Journal and over on Raider Nation Radio wrote a story about the Raiders having too many good running backs. Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Zamir White, Brandon Bolden, Amir Abdullah. Uh, he wrote in that story that Jacobs, White, and Bolden are almost locks to make the roster, uh, and that would leave the Raiders probably only carrying one more running back because they will also likely carry a fullback in Jakob Johnson. So that would mean there's one spot left, and that it could be between Kenyon Drake and Amir Abdullah. Vinny wrote Abdullah was considered a long shot to make the club, but an impressive campus thrust him into the conversation as a change of pace option and as a runner. Also wrote, Drake is a marketable commodity. He has recovered from the ankle injury he suffered last season and is a proven player capable of excelling as a runner and pass catcher. His $2.75 million salary for the season makes him easy to move. Do you think the Raiders, A, have too many good running backs, and B, could actually trade someone like Kenyon Drake to another team for an actual uh, – actually get, get actual value in return? I think I need a pair of the rose-colored glasses that it takes <laughs> to be able to see the situation the same way that Vinny does here because having too many good running backs – is not an ideal situation in the National Football League because it is a position that other teams don't value. And the New England way, as we've talked about before, right, is McDaniels going to do certain things the Patriot way? Well, how you use running backs in your system isn't about Patriot way. It's about McDaniels way. And he amassed a bunch of running backs because he likes to compartmentalize what he does with his running backs, right? He likes to have a pass catcher. He likes to have, uh, you know, a bruising runner. Now, can you look at this roster and see the opportunity to do the same thing? Sure. And what you have actually on this roster is three backs who last year were in PFF's yards per route run, four running backs in the top 15. Uh, 
Brandon Bolden was fourth, Kenyon Drake was sixth, and Amir Abdullah was 15th. But like we were saying, if you have too many good running backs, you don't have any good running backs. Because when you try to go trade these running backs to another team, it's like, have you ever been in a fantasy league where someone goes out there at the beginning of the year and they're like, hey, you know what my strategy is going to be? I'm going to load up on tight ends in the draft. And then when some team really needs a tight end, I'm going to trade them a tight end and I'm going to make a great return on it. No, you're not. You're not because nobody values the position that way. So, yeah, for the Raiders, I think it's fine that they have these running backs who are, you know, potentially going to give them options. But not one of these running backs is anyone that would excite another team in the league. Yeah, and I think that's the key there is trading them away for something is is very unlikely to happen because the ol- the only one that you could even conceivably think that could get a return is probably Josh Jacobs. But even then, a team trading for him, you're getting one year of him on his rookie deal. That team's going to probably have to be committed to signing him to a second contract. You're still probably not getting much for Jacobs. For Kenyon Drake, I mean, he didn't do a whole lot last season, and $2.75 million doesn't sound like a lot of money. But because the league doesn't value running backs, that's the 13th highest paid running back in the league this year. So the idea that 2.75 million isn't a lot, it is for that position. And for somebody to trade for a top 15 paid running back, they're probably not giving you very much. Plus, since the Raiders restructured Kenyon Drake's contract to make some cap space this offseason, he's got a 4.4 dead cap hit for next season no matter what. If he's on the roster this year, he's got a $4.4 million dead cap hit next year. If they trade him, if they cut him, he's got a $4.4 million dead cap hit for next year. So I guess it doesn't matter what they do, but they've already pushed some of Kenyon Drake's cap hit into next season. So the value of Kenyon Drake, I don't think is very high. I don't think you're trading him for much. You'd have to have a team lose like maybe two running backs in camp decide they want Kenyon Drake and then they'd send you a seventh round pick or they'd send you a sixth and you'd send back a seventh. Like you're not doing anything that's going to create value. Uh, Vinny did write that, you know, maybe there's a chance they can swap a running back for an offensive lineman. I think that's entirely possible, but I don't, you're not getting a starting level offensive lineman for that. Like you might get an offensive lineman in return, but it's not going to be somebody that comes in and is clearly better than Thayer Munford or whoever they think is going to start at right tackle in week one. So while, yes, they've got plenty of options, I don't think it creates a surplus that's going to lead to them adding value or adding uh, a player somewhere else. Now, the rest of the roster, is there any position on this team you look at and think, oh, they do have good depth there? Depth as in, do I feel good about the third or fourth person replacing the first or second person? Right? Uh, do I feel good about second string replacing first string, or do I feel good about second stringers going out there and beating other teams' second stringers? No, just like a starter gets hurt and is out for a week or two. Do they have depth that's going to be to where that that injury is not going to like sink the team? Devontae Adams gets hurt. Do you believe in their depth at wide receiver? that it's not going to crush their offense for a week or two if he misses a couple games. No, and I think Devontae Adams is a, a, both a good and bad example because, yeah, they are not super deep in terms of anyone's level of talent when it comes to Devontae Adams, right? Like it's Nobody is. That's why he's one of one. But when you look at the rest of the roster, could I say, okay, can you rejigger the game plan to get by with Keelan Cole 
in that starting spot, right? Can you get by with Mac Hollins in that starting spot? Yeah, you can get by with it. So, yeah, I think their wide receiver depth is okay. I don't think it's terrible. Um, there's nobody that I look at and say that's a clear replacement for Devontae Adams, but then again, they wouldn't have traded the farm to get Devontae Adams if they thought that were the case in the first place. So, no, there's really nowhere on the roster, I think, that you look and say, yes, they have impressive depth at that spot. Other than I think you can reasonably say it about the running backs, yeah. but that's because of the fact that none of them are elite running backs. They're all good to average running backs. And if you look at McDaniel's system over last season in New England, if you look at the personnel groupings, 21 personnel, right? Two running backs, one tight end personnel. New England used it 24% of the time last year. The NFL average was 7%. So <laughs> you know that, jo that Josh McDaniels is going to get running backs on the field more often than other teams. He's going to rotate through them more often than other teams. But part of the problem is if you look at Josh Jacobs and his performance in two running back sets last year, both in rushing and receiving, those were his least productive in terms of success rate. So, you know, again, new offense, so you can't just take the numbers and try to rejigger them to make the point work. But at the same time, there is evidence that I know Josh Jacobs' place is set, but Josh Jacobs as a receiver, which is a huge part of what New England does uh, with their running backs, has not been good. Uh, two, the two idea of a two running back set, that includes sets with fullbacks, right? Yes, two, any two running backs on the field. Yeah. So I'm, that's the other part, because we have not seen Jakob Johnson in any of the preseason games yet. I am a little bit curious, like, how heavily involved he's going to be, because especially the way Vinny wrote it, he, he's on the roster, right? Like, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything yet, hasn't played at all, and he's pretty much guaranteed the roster spot because McDaniels uh, has used a fullback in the past. So that's another interesting part as far as, like, roster spots and what's actually bringing value to the team. How much value does the fullback bring? How much value does Jakob Johnson actually bring? because he's eating up one of the conceivable running back spots that the Raiders could have, despite probably not having the versatility as, you know, don't go out in the pass game or the pass catching back or anything like that. So that's another spot in terms of running backs that gets eaten up by a fullback when it could conceivably be Amir Abdullah or something like that. Um, the other positions outside of running back, like if you go through depth wise, and I'm, I wonder how many other teams you could do this and, and actually be comfortable about their depth. Cause I doubt anybody's actually like, oh, yeah, our depth is going to be spectacular this season. But, like, there's a lot of positions. I think the big issue is, like, the Raiders don't have good starters at, so they don't have good depth. You know, if Jonathan Abram's starting above you, you're probably not quality depth at the safety spot. Same goes for whatever the first offensive line configuration is going to be for the Raiders. But I think the two key spots is wide receiver is, you know, the Mac Hollins of the world how is he going to be as the because technically he's not depth he's the number three guy he's probably going to be on the field quite a bit but then the other spot is defensive end they heavily invested in Crosby and Chandler Jones is Malcolm Kuntz their third best edge rusher like they don't really have a number three edge rusher at the moment and I think that's a position because the defense doesn't have good players anywhere else it's really Crosby Chandler Jones and then they're hoping that other guys are just average guys if they lose one of those edge rushers and it's Malcolm Coons, I think that's probably the biggest position this year that you're afraid of injury because what are you doing if Malcolm Coons has to play 80% of the snaps for a couple of weeks? All right. 
this is a great August 17th discussion, right? Like we need actual football sooner than later uh, <laughs> to be able to talk about it because we are deep into the Malcolm Kuntz discussion, uh, who is listed, by the way, at third string uh, at defensive end behind your friend and mine, Cleveland Furl. So is that guy on the team? Are you sure? I, I don't know. There's a rumor he's listed on the depth chart. I'm not I'm not sure. And as, as we know, preseason depth charts are dogma. There's no way around. They are absolutely true at all times. Uh, that's why Alex Leatherwood is listed as the starting right tackle. So, you know, you look at this, you look at this depth chart and let's get back to the point of this, Tyler, right? Like take one step back from Chandler Jones and Max Crosby as the defensive ends and worry about who's behind them. If those guys go down, this team was always going to be screwed, right? Like this team is built in such a way that there was no way that you're going to get by with the second guys. You can't afford the guys they got on the same team at the same time and be able to have quality depth behind them unless you have rookies who were drafted previously <laughs> who were able to come. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't even, I can't even get it out. Uh, oh, shout out Gruden and Mayock. Oh, beautiful drafts. So hey, yeah, hey, they drafted Crosby. They drafted Max Crosby. They got him here. Yeah, and now he's gotten paid. They drafted Hunter Renfro, and now he's gotten paid. So, you know, again, a lot of these numbers don't kick in until next year to really hurt the Raiders. But right now, no, you look at it and say, if Devontae Adams gets hurt, it, okay, you know what? I found a position. How about this? Foster Morrow has actually been pretty good as a backup tight end. Yeah. Right? How about that? Is that, that good? You like that? I mean, assuming you like that, Kirk Cousins? shows up. Assuming he shows up, then the Raiders have uh, two solid tight ends. If Darren Waller doesn't show up, then Foster Moreau's the starter. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some NBA, because guess what? The Knicks, they, they might get a good player, like every offseason. Swing and a bloop in the center for a base hit. Engel scores. Moncada gets it done again, and it's 4-3. to three. Back to the Press Box Summer oh, Edition. Featuring Adam Candy. I will be ignoring that. Um, according to Sham Sharnia, the Knicks and Jazz re-engaged in Donovan Mitchell trade talks. They had a fresh trade conversation within the past week, but there's no traction between the two teams on a deal, and no Donovan Mitchell trade is imminent for the Jazz. Apparently the Wizards and Hornets are also interested in... Mitchell. Uh, so before we get to the actual Knicks side of this, is this actually a story? We got a week old conversation and there's no progress in a deal that would send Mitchell to the Knicks. When you remember the thirst of most Knicks fans, <laughs> this will always be a story. It will always get clicks. You gotta get spy the Mitchell. That guy's gonna save us. We're gonna be good again. No, it's you know that there's a lot of that out there. Um, so yeah, it's a story for clicks. Uh, so let's uh, make the assumption that it could actually happen here. Does Donovan Mitchell in New York make the Knicks any good? He makes the Knicks better. Um, the East is now also better, so I don't know that he moves the needle so far that you start talking about the Knicks in the discussion with the Celtics and the Heat and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks and the Sixers. And by the way, I just named four teams in the East, <laughs> so I don't know that you necessarily want to make you know, a sell-it-all move for this to happen. So this feels like the kind of information that got to Shams from the Utah side of things, right? Because all of a sudden there are other teams interested and there's no traction toward a deal. This sounds like Danny Ainge putting out there, 
hey, uh, remember that Rudy Gobert deal I got that had like 75 first round picks and three <laughs> rotation players? Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's better. Uh, and he is. Uh, Donovan Mitchell is a player you want in today's NBA more than you want Rudy Gobert. But at the same time, uh, the Knicks are absolutely smart for holding the line and not trading multiple first round picks and whatever else it takes to get Donovan Mitchell because, yes, he's younger than Carmelo Anthony, but if you sell everything to get Donovan Mitchell, you've just redone the Carmelo Anthony trade where you traded all the good players to put around him. Do you believe that Rudy Gobert deal kind of ruined trades in the NBA for the time being? Well, it ruined anyone dealing with Utah. That's the most important piece, right? If Danny Ainge picks up the phone and calls you and you see D. Ainge on the caller ID, don't take the call because he's developed that reputation as you're not going to get the best of a deal with Danny Ainge. Now, there's a whole other discussion of what's he going to do with those assets once he gets his hands on them, like all the picks that he hoarded in Boston that didn't turn into anything. But right now, the Rudy Gobert deal is absolutely crippling, at least dealing with Utah for the Knicks. Okay, here's what I need from you, the New York Knicks fan. I need you to sell me on why I should watch the Knicks and the Sixers on Christmas Day and why that shouldn't be the two and a half hour time period where I actually talk to like people in my family and eat and open presents. What time is that game starting? Do we know the answer to that yet? Isn't, isn't it the second game? So it'll be like around noon or something our time? Okay, so so if it's noon Pacific time, are you telling me you're, you're going to hold off your family until noon and say, everybody, I need to watch the 930 NBA game. We can open presents at noon. I will then talk to you for two hours, and then I'm going back to watch Luka against the Lakers. Yeah. Was that not how you do it on Christmas? Um slightly different um i think you might be overestimating what the responsibilities of i should say underestimating the responsibilities of a fiance versus a boyfriend um no, but it's you know 10 years it's nothing's changed that's wow there's there's a motto you slap on the side of the box um but yeah uh why would you watch nick sixers Okay, here's why you would watch. First of all, you need to make sure that you're there for at least the halftime interview and the post-game interview because Doc and Embiid might say some crazy things that you're going to have to talk about the next day. Um, James Harden could come out with those tiny little Christmas ornaments in his beard. Um, uh, you could actually be watching Julius Randle commit some sort of misdemeanor and or felony against an official uh, by the time that the game is over by his level of frustration at trying to get through Joel Embiid. Uh, so those are the reasons I can give you to watch the actual basketball. No, because even if you watch the basketball itself, it's going to be horrible to watch. You're going to have the pounded down low Sixers with Joel Embiid against the 15 foot back it down post ups of Julius Randle. Are you, as a Knicks fan, are you excited or disappointed they're playing on Christmas Day? Having felt no obligation to watch the New York Knicks since the Pat Riley years, I don't really have any okay. opinion on it either way. Okay. So you won't be like, oh, I have to go watch the Knicks play and probably lose on Christmas Day. You just will. It'll be on a TV and that's about it. That, that's, the thing. It, that's the beautiful part about being a Knicks fan. I'm happy to put any game on the screen 
and just pay passing attention to it. And then if we get to like the third quarter and it's still a 10 point game, I might give it 10 minutes of undivided attention to see which direction we're going. Like, is this going to be one of those where we've decided that Mitchell Robinson should actually touch the ball on offense? Or is this going to be one of those where we pass it around, try to get out and transition, play a little defense and make things interesting? Uh, If I find out that it's a get the ball down low day, I'm not watching. So here's a like you said in our earlier segment, you know, the August 17th topics of the world. Um, I love very much when NBA players allude to like another city, another team and the simple possibility that they could play for them because Giannis did that yesterday and gave the quote, I'm committed to the Bucks." Down the line, you never know. Maybe I play for Chicago. Um, should we actually take anything from that quote, or is that just Giannis being like overly honest for his too honest for his own good? Uh oh, here comes Internet Police guy. I'm about to be that guy. You ready, you Tyler? Are? Okay. Listen to the whole quote. I won't do it. No, I refuse. What? Well, no, no hey, all right, fine. And then August seventeenth is going to get real interesting. Uh, yeah. If you listen to the whole quote, Giannis was asked about the Bulls franchise and about the city of Chicago, and he gave a good 45-second glowing talk about, yeah, the Bulls franchise has a lot of great history. They've won championships. Anybody would want to play in Chicago. Anybody would want to play for the Bulls. And then at the very end, that's when he went like folksy fun Giannis, right? He's like, yeah, it's a great franchise, you know, but, you know, who knows? Like, I could play for Chicago someday, but, you know, I'm committed to Milwaukee. Yeah, because don't be the internet police on me. It's ridiculous. Come on, I'm trying to do a radio show over here. Oh no, no, no! I'm I'm absolutely happy to do it because nobody polices the internet on the internet like you do day to day. Okay, so we had this conversation yesterday. Uh, there is Jared. Is it on Netflix? There's a Giannis like documentary movie Disney about Plus. Giannis. Disney Plus making it to the NBA and all this or whatever. But, like, you know, he's 27 years old. There's been a lot in his life already that makes for an incredible story. But, like, he's more likely than not going to have another two decades of incredible things that we're going to probably, like, when you're doing a movie on Giannis, you've already missed it because there's going to be 20 more years of Giannis doing fun stuff, ridiculous stuff, amazing stuff. Like, you can't make a movie about Giannis now. you got to wait until at least his career's over and then probably longer than that. You absolutely can make a movie about Giannis right now because whatever happens throughout the next five, ten years of Giannis' career, we've seen it before. It's basketball. Nobody's tuning in to watch that. Nobody is tuning in to say, oh, man, the greatest highlights of Dwayne Wade's career or why why I'm going to watch the movie about his life. And by the way, don't bother with Disney Plus or the Giannis movie or any of that. There was a great feature on Giannis and his family on 60 Minutes that will take you like 15 minutes to watch that will give you all of the information from like- actual Giannis with his actual family and his actual coaches. Like, those are the things that you really want to know as opposed to the Disney sanitized version. But what it, does the little Disney logo pop up before this 60 Minutes thing? I think I need that to fully enjoy it. Uh, no, you can get the little ticking clock and some correspondence old enough to be your grandparents. It makes me feel like I'm late for something, like Christmas lunch or something. No, 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 no. You're not going to be late for anything. What you really need to do, though, is you need to put on that 60 minutes at Christmas and show your fiance's family how cultured you are. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, John Von Tobel joins the show. Up to Matthews. Matthews drives. Matthews runs right into. Oh, oh my God. Hey. They called it a block. That's, that's an absolutely horrible call. 924 to go. 
and it'll be free throws for Matthews. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition featuring Adam Candy. Joining us now, John Von Tobel. Uh, John, do you miss uh, John Sandler blowing up on referees, especially on a Canadian preseason game? Well, that was very mild uh, was. from what we know of Sandler's past. So It was Canadian uh, style. Yeah, you know, when you, you're you going to get closer and they'll come back. So I do miss it to a certain extent, but it's football, man. So I, uh, I went to Rebel practice, I think, what, two weeks ago, maybe a little less than that. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, wow, I cannot believe I'm watching UNLV basketball practice at this point. It's August. So uh, let's pump the brakes on basketball. But I hope they have a good trip, though. All right. Can you explain to us uh, what exactly your beef is with Raiders media? Uh, oh, well, actually, it's my beef with Raiders media, but it's my beef with, like, all media in general. You know, oh, okay. like, we get it. All right? You like your job. You get to cover the Raiders. I don't need 20 tweets about, hey, locker room's open, or, hey, man, Kansas City Chiefs, and this is actually, I like Deshaun Reed, but this is a shot at Deshaun. I'm going to call him out. Uh, you know, hey, you know, why don't you serve us steak and lobster in the press box media room? Like, all right, look, you get a, you have a good job, okay, you enjoy your job, but the, the normal people, we don't really care about what's going on with you. Come on, move on. We. You're not right, part of the I'm media. Looking, no, I'm one of the, look, Adam, you know me. I am, I am a part of the media, but I'm also a people person, all right? I, I don't true. like to sit there yes. and flaunt some of the... Uh, <laughs> Some of the extra things that I get with the job, you know what I mean? Uh, the other yeah. day, actually, I told Steve I, I felt like a D-bag because the, uh, he posted a picture or excuse me, a video of them talking to the quarterbacks. You know, they practiced the other day. And usually media availability is held outside in the pounding sun and, you know, airplanes flying overhead, but they were inside. And so I, t- I tweeted at him, like, inside. I'm like, what are we doing here? I've suffered for the last few weeks, and you guys are inside in the air conditioning at the Fertitta Football Complex. And immediately I felt like a D-back. I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody cares that they're not inside or outside. So, yeah, I'm one of the people, man. You know, every every tweet you send, you don't have to have a wide audience that cares. You can send tweets for, like, two people. Uh, you know, I know, but I just I have a persona to keep up. You know what I mean? I can't be a hypocrite and call out <laughs> Raiders media uh, for all their love of their job and whatnot and inside access they have to let you know people know that they have. Uh, and then, of course, break my own rules. So I've got to be consistent. All right, John, we just had this discussion at 7.15, and I'm sure you've had this discussion way more times than you would care to, but it's August 17th. These are the things we talk about. Uh, according to Shams, the Knicks and Jazz have reengaged over Donovan Mitchell. To me, that just reads as Danny Ainge either made a call, took a call, asked for another three first-round picks, and R.J. Barrett, the Knicks hung up, and here we are again. Am I, am I wrong? And should, should the Knicks be hanging up the phone if that's the case? Uh, I do think you're wrong because I think it's the Knicks who re-engaged. Like, why are we <laughs> assuming it's the Jazz? The Knicks are desperate here. You know what I mean? Like, look, this is a long off season, and training camp doesn't start until the beginning of October, late September. So they've still got time, and the schedules get released today. Uh, but if there is one team that is that desperate to make this deal who would re-engage in trade talks, uh, I believe it would be a, a team like the New York Knicks, unless I missed something in Champ's report in which he said that it was the Jazz who reached back out. Um, but, like, I, that's what I would think. I mean, look, if you're, if you're the Utah Jazz, you have Donovan Mitchell under contract for a couple of years. Uh, we talked to, when we were out of the Summer League at Beeson, we talked to Tony Jones, who covers the Utah Jazz pretty closely, and he said he believes Donovan Mitchell would play for the Jazz if he was forced to this season, unlike Ben Simmons, right? He wouldn't sit out like that. So, it's the Jazz who are in a position of power. If the Knicks want him, call. Let's go. Get him. If not, then no skin off our back. We'll just roll into the season with Donovan Mitchell, and they'll probably miss a bunch of games because they want to tank. You know what I mean? So 
I figured that if it's anybody who re-engaged and it's anybody who wants it done, it's the New York Knicks, not the Utah Jazz. Do the Jazz hold on to Mitchell until they get the same amount of picks they got for Rudy Gobert, or would they actually be willing to move him for less? Oh, yeah, I think so. Look, I mean, when you – I think it's three years left on the contract, Tyler. So, like, if you're, if you're Utah, what is – other than trying to, like, you know, speed up the process of getting some draft picks, which if you're on this timeline of blowing everything up and rebuilding, you don't need to speed anything up. Right? There's lots of teams who are going to be out there who want to acquire Donovan Mitchell. And it actually benefits you once the year begins because then there's going to be teams that look around and go, hey, man, you know, we might be a Donovan Mitchell away from becoming a championship team. Let's offer a pretty big package of draft picks and maybe some assets to go get this done. So I would say, yeah, like if you're Utah, you're sitting back and you're, you're fine. If the season's going to start with Mitchell on the roster, then the season's going to start with Mitchell on the roster and we'll roll because we know he's going to be available. Uh, you need to help John as a man of the people, as a man with deep family experience, as a married man, as a father. Tyler needs assistance here. He's trying to figure out don't. how to inform his family about what will be the two to two and a half hour window that he's available on Christmas. So he wants to know which of the five games happening on Christmas he can ignore. Well, we can ignore the Knicks because they stink and nobody cares about the Knicks on Christmas. Sorry, Adam. It's just the way. No, I already, I already agreed um, with that. Yeah, and, well, and, and if anybody thinks that I'm a West Coast elitist, I am to a certain extent, but I would include the Lakers in that. Nobody wants to watch Russell Westbrook and the Lakers you know, do whatever they're going to do on Christmas. Uh, so I would eliminate that game. Uh, let's go with, hmm, I'll go with Boston and Milwaukee. I, I have an affinity for that series. They play each other relatively well. The games will be a lot of fun in the regular season. And those are the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. So let's go with Milwaukee and Boston. Or be like me. And just be like, hey, man, football and Chris and uh, basketball are on today. I'm working. Sorry, folks. Just leave me alone for the next 12 hours. Yeah, that's that's the line I go to. What did, yeah, it's work. That's a great. That's exactly what I do. Thank you, Adam. John agrees with me 100%. You asked me when you could get what are we doing? Yeah, that's a great idea there. Well, Adam, you also think that I am going to have more responsibilities now as a fiancé as opposed to just a boyfriend, which I completely disagree with. Ooh, I don't know about that. That's uh, look the um, what you are asked to do now that you guys are on the path toward committing to each other for the rest of your lives. Um, those are going to get ratcheted up, my friends. Don't you worry about that. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I, we, it's been ten <laughs> That's years. What I said too. It's been ten years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Johnny, this is no idea. I'm good. Marriage I'm not worried. worried. I'm not worried. I already did all the wedding planning too. Like I already got this handled. There's no problems here. Okay, good for you. I'm glad. You know, like, you know what we're doing? Fun. Famous <laughs> last words. You know what we're doing for our anniversary for the second year in a row? We're going to watch the Astros play. Yeah, because you're not married yet. Yeah, well, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'll just go by myself. Then. It'll be great. You guys. You, you know what I? You know what I did for our? So we're, my wife and I are. This is our second anniversary. Uh, so for her birthday. So uh, for, usually for her birthday, get nice gifts, whatever it is. Uh, in the first year of marriage for her birthday, it was a seven-course meal and wine pairing over at a fancy French restaurant that cost nearly five hundred dollars. So you know what? Uh, trust me, you're going to be uh, you're going to be in for it, my friend. Seven. Okay, how much did she eat of this seven-course meal? Because that sounds like ridiculously too much food. No, no, it's actually you know it's a fancy it's a fancy restaurant, so like it's like Very like small. super tiny servings. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, so actually, every bit. And I will say, it was one of the best meals I've ever had. So. All right. Um, since you've been at UNLV practice, uh, who do you think starting at quarterback for this team? 
So my guess is going to be Brumfield. Like, I, I just think when you watch, like, consistently when I've been out there, the observation has been he's running with the ones that he starts team sequences. Uh, the leash has kind of been shorter for both Friel and, and Bailey when they're out there uh, running with the twos. It just seems that watching those in those instances, so we're not allowed to record, um, that I think that it's, it's going to be Brumfield. And it makes some sense. I mean, when I've watched them just observationally, he has been the most consistent of the three when I've been out there. Uh, I think Bailey, I've told Steve this, you know, Bailey from an arm talent standpoint, I think like pops a little bit more visually, uh, but Brumfield's been more consistent in running the offense. Friel's been pretty erratic at times, the, the times that I have seen him at least, especially with his accuracy. I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident if I'm making like a price, like I'm going to go Brumfield the odds on favorite oh. and small plus prices on the other two. This is, this is why you're on here, to give us prices on who's going to start. Okay, what would they actually be? I need the actual numbers on what your prices would be. Uh, let's see. We'll go Brumfield minus 110. Whew, for two, I'd probably go like real like plus 175 and Bailey plus 375. I don't know if the implied probability adds up there. Adam, you can do that for me, but something like that. Wow. Wait, Friel's ahead of Bailey in this? I think so. I think oh. that'd kind of be the case. I mean, now... I think that the edge between those two is very thin. So, like, by the time we get to uh, the game on August 27th, that could change. But I think when you're looking at, like, the, just the logistics of it, right, you have Bailey coming in, Friel's familiar with the offense, offensive freshman of the year. Like, it just makes a little bit more sense to have him be the two while you get Bailey up to speed if that's going to be the case. Yeah, I, my question then goes to this, John. Are we going to do the Marcus Arroyo State Secrets thing about who starts at quarterback? Are we going to find out by who runs out on the field for the first snap? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Like any time, like from what I've I've seen personally and from what I understand, if it comes up, it's not that it's like hush-hush, but, you know, you don't want to revere your hand too soon. I think we kind of understand that. Even then, Adam, like, you know, your first opponent, you're a very solid favorite. You're going to see, I'm going to assume, you're going to see all three of them at some point. I don't even know if necessarily because one of them gets the start in the first game that it's going to be the case um, that he's actually the starter going forward for the rest of the year, you know? All right, John, get back to parenting. Get out of here. I am actually. This kid's crawling on me while I'm talking to you guys. So yeah, it's been a lot sounds of great. He's John Von Tobel over at Vsin. You can hear him on Cofield and Company. Thanks, John. You're welcome. By the way, I don't know what this accusation was of stealing headphones. They never left the room. So I just, they were there and I was wearing them. So. All right, uh, whatever that means. Jared, did he steal headphones? Who, he who was wearing my headphones, and he knows it. Oh, yes, well, you I was wearing them. The my studio. head's been itching ever since, so, Jared, I don't know what's going on. With you. <laughs> I'm a All sweaty right. dude. Thanks, John. <laughs> Thank uh, Jared, I think that, I mean, you leave them in the studio every day, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's like when I worked at an office, I didn't bring my stapler home with me. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah Do, did anybody there. ever use your stapler when you weren't there? Yeah, and it always annoyed me. <laughs> Good talk. All right, coming up next, it's the best segment of the week. We get to yell at Adam Candy about referee. You might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Our resident referee is here to answer some important questions in the world of refereeing. I actually have one quick one for you. Um, Twice now in the last week or so, 
teams have intentionally balked Alex Bregman to go from second to third base because they're afraid he's relaying to the batter what pitch is coming, or actually think it's more location than actual pitch. Um, we've seen this before with teams balking guys to third. Should the team that is batting be allowed to decline the balk? Should they be allowed to say, nope, we want that guy at second, not at third? Yeah, it's interesting because there is precedent in baseball rules for this, right? With interference, you can choose the player, the penalty. So I don't have a problem with that. It's, I, I don't know that you would because it's all it's always come with two outs. It's not like you're changing to where, hey, a sack fly would get the run home or something like that. I don't know that you would, but I, I am curious because it's very much the other team is saying we would prefer that guy to be 90 feet closer to scoring. And I, I feel like you should be able to decline that much as yeah. the way that you can in football and decline a penalty if you think that you're in a better situation if you decline it. Yeah, and it's understandable that you're in a better situation if you are a documented cheater from the 2017 <laughs> Astros to be in a position to steal signs. Hey, as long as, as, long as there's no uh, buzzers on him out there at second base, he's good to go. Exactly. It's all good. Um, all right, something that did happen last night, and this is interference, which... I, I know I've asked you before about interference, but I always end up getting confused as to what should be called. In the Cubs and Nationals game last night, Zach McKinstry, a runner for the Cubs, running from first to second on a ground ball, ran into the National second baseman Cesar Hernandez, uh, basically at the same exact time that Hernandez had fielded the ball. Now, there were runners on first and third in this scenario. If this had been just a normal ground ball, the runner from third probably scores, and the White or excuse me, the Cubs get, or excuse me, the Nationals get one or two outs, depending on if they can turn the double play. Maybe they throw it home and try to get the guy at the plate, but potentially that's a run scored and and one to two outs, depending on how good the Nationals infield is. Because there was contact, though, that none of that had a chance to happen, and the umpires ruled. Runner goes back to third. The batter is safe at first, but the runner going to second. He was out. So no runners advanced, and the runner going to second was out. What I guess, what's the logic behind the actual decision on those rulings? So it's funny. In my head, as you were describing that, I, I was coming to the same conclusion that the umpires came to, which I wasn't sure I was going to because my baseball rules knowledge isn't as strong as some other sports. But the logic is actually, Tyler, what you just talked about with the intentional balk, Right. If you could choose to do that intentionally, let's say you're in a situation where it's a tie game, there's only one out, and you know you need a run, right? Well, what you would do is you would have the runner run into the second baseman, and if you were allowed to score on the play, you would gladly take an out in exchange for getting a run and going ahead, winning the game, whatever it is, right? So it would be a very savvy play if the rule allowed that, but... You would do it because the other alternative is you might get a double play and be out of the inning. Okay. So, but, uh, okay. I mean, is there, there's no, when they do this, there's no judge on intent, right? There's never a, hey, he had a chance to avoid it and he didn't or anything like that. It's just simply what the contact is and where the runners are at the time, right? Well, the, the play you're describing is called interference with the opportunity, right? It, it, you're interfering with the fielder's opportunity to, to make a play. And so if you... Essentially, if the fielder has a chance to field the ball in the line of where the runner would normally run, the fielder has to be given the opportunity to make the play. And the umpires are going to give the runner a little bit of leeway with going, quote, out of the base path, which, as we know, 
the runner establishes his own base path. You don't just draw a straight line between the two bases. All right, another baseball question for you. Anthony Rizzo got hit by a pitch, but he actually got called for leaning into it, which uh, you don't see a whole lot in Major League Baseball. Rizzo did sort of buckle his knees and stick a knee out closer to the plate, though you could kind of argue it's because it was a slider that might have looked like it was coming at his back at first. Uh, But he got called for leaning into the pitch, and... I don't know what the rule book actually says. I'm just repeating what I hear announcers say in that the way they always phrase it is you have to make an attempt to get out of the way of a baseball. But I feel like this rule is often called just don't make an attempt to get in front of the baseball, not, hey, you have to make an attempt to get out of the way of a ball that hits you. So this is one of those rules, Tyler, where if you know the rule, you know that it's not applied the way that is written and that's often the case with certain rules right if there are certain rules in the basketball rule book that if i told you they were there you would say there's no way that's a rule and i would say yeah it is just you never see it called so with this one you just can't make a move toward the ball look if a guy turns his back and doesn't move his feet and gets hit with a ball in the ankle they're probably going to give him first base but that's not what anthony rizzo did I I watch a lot of Anthony Rizzo as as a New York Yankees first baseman, and he is tied for second in baseball in hit by pitch at 17 HBPs this year. And Anthony Rizzo often makes very little effort to get out of the way. But this time he did lean in like he pushed his knee toward the ball. Here's the part you need to know as someone watching the game. When you have someone who is in the top of the league in hit by pitch, that is 100 percent something the umpires have pregamed. They've talked about it before the game and said, hey, Rizzo's a guy who doesn't get out of the way. We got to make him actually make an effort to get out of the way of the ball instead of just giving him first base. And so on a play like that, where you see him buckle in, you know that they've already talked about it. That wasn't a decision. The home plate umpire was just like, "Eh, I don't know. It was close. They're like, no, Rizzo is that guy. Okay. does that like sort of pregame prep from the umpires? Does that include video? Like, will there be cases where, like, hey, here's Anthony Rizzo. Here's how he leaned into a pitch a week ago or something like that? Or is it just, hey, he's been hit by a lot of pitches. We've called Yankees games before, and we've witnessed, you know, this. And it's not actually video breakdown of Anthony Rizzo getting hit by a pitch. If Major League Baseball trends the way that the NBA and at my level at the NCAA do, it absolutely includes video. Without Uh, question. Last one for you. Uh, we had a actually had a Giants game against the Patriots in the preseason. A pass into the end zone that was incomplete. The defensive back got flagged for taunting for putting his hands in the air and kind of looking down at the receiver that was on the ground. Are we about to have more taunting calls for defensive backs celebrating incompletions? Yup. We're going to have lots of taunting calls for everything for like two or three weeks, right? And then hopefully the Mara family, the owners of the Giants who are on the competition committee intend to push all this stuff, will go back to other rich guy things and (laughs) stop paying attention to it. And we can go back to playing football with fun. I am so sick of the fun police. I am so (laughs) sick of personality being legislated out of the game. Let the players do what the players are going to do. It's football, especially. They are emotional. They are trained to be emotional. That is what you want out of them. If a quarterback overthrows a pass by 15 yards and the defensive back still celebrates, that guy should be flagged. 